Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. It's like the lottery winner that you won the millions of dollars, but you didn't change your mindset, your belief system, your operating system. And so you found your way back to being broke again. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zong, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zong, and I am so grateful today to be bringing you Sean Cannell. He's an international speaker coach, and he is the guy for knowing how to start, grow, do everything you want to ever do with YouTube. He is the founder of Think Media and the host of the Think Media podcast. He is one of the leading online video experts and YouTube strategists in the world. His YouTube channel has over two and a half million subscribers and his videos have, I think one of them has over 150 million views or something like that. He has a book called YouTube Secrets, The Ultimate Guide to Growing Your Following and Making Money as a Video Influencer. And I cannot wait. I just actually got a whole had a whole conversation with him. And this is going to be really, really fascinating because he also has dealt with all sorts of adversity in his life, including some narcissists. So we this is going to be a fascinating conversation for all of you. So thank you for being here with us. Rebecca, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, grateful for that introduction and to be hanging out with you and your community. Thank you. So, wow, you've had really an interesting life. You got married super young. You kind of fell into this whole world of of, of YouTube and everything. But um, tell us a little bit about your background, your life, and how you sort of ended up here. Yeah, I mean, here is a weird place. I actually just celebrated my 40th birthday, so I just turned 40. Um, Think Media, our company is about 30 people, 40 if you count track uh, contractors and some different vendors that we work with. So we're running a multi-million dollar company, kind of approaching... Um, eight fig a year and co-founded by my wife, Sonia and I, she is our CFO. Uh, I am now the functioning CEO. I don't love that. I like being a founder more. I want to hire a CEO probably ultimately for those functions because I'm also kind of the main content creator in a lot of videos. And so I'm wearing multiple hats. Um, so it's wild where we are today. So like, how do we get here? I kind of have no idea. I mean, I could tell the story, but it's like I'm a small town kid, college dropout. You know, growing up, um, actually went through uh, kind of some intense trauma. My parents got divorced uh, very young. My dad got a little abusive, um, some drug addiction. So my mom was a single mom for a few years, and um, 
that was very hard time. I have less recollection of some of that, but there's definitely some memories about how hard we were, we were living in a basement that we were renting from a family and she was working so hard. And then eventually she married my stepdad and I had kind of a, a decent kind of childhood growing up, but eventually got expelled from Christian high school actually once once my parents recovered from financial troubles, they sent me to a, a private Christian uh, high school and I got expelled right before my senior year for just crazy stuff, rave drugs and all this different stuff I was doing. And and I broke enough school protocol that I got expelled. And so I, I actually got very depressed and just finished out my high school diploma at a local school and eventually hit rock bottom from just partying and being really kind of in the wrong circle and doing the wrong, the wrong things, which was really good because it was able to bring me to a place where, man, I need something different. I'm doing, I need something different. And I eventually went to Bible college uh, for just one year in Canada randomly because some of my family members had gone there. And then I got plugged into a church um, internship. And this was right around uh, 2001 or two. And you mentioned, I kind of stumbled into video and it was the youth pastor that said, Hey, uh, I just interned so I could stay out of trouble. Coming back from Bible college, I still loved my friends. I knew though that I didn't have very much self-discipline that if I was sitting in a circle with them, which actually happened on my break from Christmas, uh, my Christmas break for Bible college, we were sitting on a circle. I thought I have strong discipline and they were passing around a blunt of, of marijuana. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good the first time. And then the second time I was like, nah, I'm good. I'm just, you know, okay. the third time I was like, Okay, just pass that. You know, pass it. So it's kind of who you're hanging out with matters. Like it influences you, and you probably only have so much willpower. So I was like, man, I need to just stay busy. Uh, I want to let people know, hey, we can hang, but hang in my terms and in my environment. I'm going to get really busy. So I was working, interning at this this church, and I didn't even really know. My parents just started going to a new church. I knew nothing about the church. I didn't know if I liked the church. The youth ministry had like 12 kids in it, and the youth pastor said, hey, make videos. And this was before YouTube started, 2003. So I really started to learn that skill. First YouTube channel we started was in 2007 for the church. So fast forward to today, lots of windy roads on the journey, but I've now been doing video for 20 years, YouTube for almost 17. And so there's something about just going deep and continuing to go in the same direction and being obsessed with continuing to learn, level up, practice, experiment, get better, and really focus um, for that long of time on sort of this idea of video, video marketing, and YouTube. Wow, there's so much to unpack with all of that. I mean, you know, to have been through all of that and then found your way back to church at such a young age. I mean, things could have gone very, very differently for you. Absolutely, they could have gone differently. I mean, the path I was on, I was very um, into kind of like rap music culture, you know, the lifestyle glorified. So it's kind of, and, and a kind of a pretty shallow life if it's about sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of a thing. But I, I was so grateful that I sort of had a wake up call and an epiphany of that leaving me feeling pretty empty. But then what changed everything for me was that one year in Bible college was good because I studied the Bible cover to cover for myself and really started to get some stronger foundations for my faith. But when I started interning in that church, it, it was really mentorship. The youth pastor, Jeff Moores, was just at my birthday party. He's now a church planner in Oceanside, wow. California, Rhythm Church. He's who got me into video. But not only was that powerful, but just watching him um, in his marriage with his wife, Erin, watching him then become a father, helping him 
bring a lot of healing into my life from different maybe father wounds and and mentorship and also needing kind of that tough love, kind of having both someone who you know unconditionally loves you and encourages you and builds you up, but then also calls you out and challenges you and calls you to another level. Um, so honoring personally to both of my parents. I love my biological father, my stepdad. The collective ingredients from both of their lives have so influenced who I am today and any success I've had. And and I'm empathetic to the fact that we're all inheriting whatever we inherited from the previous generation. Hopefully, whatever their ceiling was becomes our launching pad. And so, so grateful for both of them. But there was so many aspects that I needed mentorship in as a man. And uh, I've had many mentors kind of over the years, of course, through books or podcasts and things like that. But people like Jeff Moores are different. Uh, people that have crossed my path. And that was, I think that was critical. I mean, things watching him as a leader and helping him call me on uh, my blind spots and and a lot of things like that. And those foundational ingredients and a lot of stuff I learned in the local church, YouTube is one thing and YouTube marketing is one thing. But how do you run your life? And how do you run a team? That has been something that a lot of... I've seen now content creators that are finding success... They they have no clue. This starts being how do you build a team though? I mean, how do you actually hire? There it's like the E Myth Revisited is a very powerful book, and it's about you like do the thing. You're the technician that has that special skill, but doing the thing is radically different than building a team around the thing. It's one thing to know how to bake delicious cupcakes. It's a whole other thing to run a cupcake business. And so I've been on a journey of trying to figure out not just how to be a content creator, but now how to be a CEO. And with a three-year-old and a one-year-old now, been married 18 years, life is absolutely total mayhem. And so trying to figure out how to juggle it all. And so all those life skills and interpersonal skills and all that kind of stuff, just mindset uh, and energy management and all these kind of things is the journey that we've been on lately. Oh my goodness. So did you meet your wife back at church then or... Because you're pretty young. So when I was going to that church, they had a ministry school called Soma Northwest School of Ministry Arts Northwest that I enrolled in. Instead of going back to Canada for my second year at Prairie Bible Institute in Alberta, Canada, Jeff convinced me to go to Soma Northwest and said, probably also because he's like, this is a young leader that I want to keep in the youth ministry, but also probably because... What was cool about this is rather than maybe more traditional curriculum, it was much more hands-on leadership development. And I think that was the right call. I think I I even heard recently that only a few people can learn really well from audio and reading. Some people learn better if you also add the visual. But what everybody learns from is like kinesthetic where you actually are hands-on. And that's the best form of learning something. So being in a school of ministry arts where we're studying in the classroom, but then when we're we're executing every single week on building a youth ministry, running events, dealing with leaders, if you will, recruiting, negotiation, like you're in the real world. It's it's just actually... And I heard Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, say that exact same thing. He he said that doing an internship um, or interning at a company or for a person that is doing the thing you eventually want to do is one of the greatest places to develop real world skill sets, not necessarily traditional education in a lot of cases. So saying that, um, we joined Summer Northwest and it was not just young people, it was also 
kind of anybody in the church. They may have had a career. So maybe they had to go to, to work at nine or something. And so the start time, it, it softened over the years, but the start time of my first year was 6 a.m. You had to be in the classroom at 6 a.m. In fact, they if you were not in the classroom at 6 a.m., they would lock your door and make you sit in the hallway. And the justification was <laughs> there are people in Africa that have to travel hours to get water and bring it home and they'll make it. uh, And I was kind of, I was like, are we, is that real? Like, have you met any of them? But they were like, yeah, you can be on time because think about, so all that to say is that gives you a little idea of how hard the culture was, like no excuses. So I always had to uh, get there at 6 a.m. And I was also very busy waiting tables, also trying to, you know, pay the bills as a young adult. And I, um, would get up at five as a result and go to Starbucks to try to do a little bit of homework, try to have kind of a little devotional time, get my mind right and actually be awake by 6 a.m. So I get some coffee. And that's where I met my wife. She was a barista and Starbucks in Marysville, Washington, right off of State Street was very not busy at four or at five when I got there. So I would come in, I would see her. I started to notice, man, she's so cute. She's kind of cool. Started to get to know her. She was dating somebody at the time. And, um, but I kept going in and she, in hindsight, would say, like, who is this guy who's coming in, cracking his Bible, uh, you know, three days a week um, and, and studying, like, what is, what is his story? I, come, I came to learn that at the time she was in a sorority at the University of Washington studying for law. And she was um, background with Seventh-day Adventist. And she, though, was kind of getting sucked into kind of college culture and all that kind of stuff. And so she kind of had those roots. And at that moment, she wasn't really pursuing God or pursuing church or anything like that. Uh, But her interest was kind of piqued by this character. And so what, you know, funny side quest was, I eventually she broke up with her boyfriend and I wanted to get her attention. And I, but I was, I was a little bit coward. I mean, I was kind of like a, a womanizer in high school. But now, since I like met Jesus and I, my heart was really changed and, you know, shifted. And I was at it now, I, I didn't really have that same confidence. So I was afraid to even ask her out. I, I remember one day I wrote my number on a stir stick, a drink stir stick, and I chickened out and I threw it away instead of giving it to her. So I was trying to figure out like how do I approach, you know, maybe asking her out or something. And I found out that she was into running. And so true story, I was like, what if I put on running clothes? I'm not even a runner. But I'm like, what if what if I put on running clothes and then just went in for Starbucks as I would cuz I would like to visit her sometimes multiple times a day um just to see her. And so I walked in and you know, came up to the register and put in an order for coffee. And she looked at me and she's like, "Wait a minute, like, are are you a runner?" And I was like, "Well, oh my gosh, so it well, I mean, what does this say to you?" And she was like, "We should go running sometime." I'm like, "Absolutely." And then I was terrified because I was like, "What if my endurance is so out of you know, you know, different from hers? What if I?" Like I'm going to lose right from the start. But what was funny is we jogged for a little while and then we ended up just walking around the Arlington Airport and getting into conversation about life and everything else. And kind of the rest is history. Uh, We dated for about a year, year and a half. And now we've been married 18 years. There you go. It worked. 
Yes. You still have those running clothes? You have them like, you know, I know, framed glass. And <laughs> the funny thing is, I'm, I'm actually a legitimate runner today as a hobbyist, yeah, but, uh, but I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't in no way consistent as a runner, but it, but it worked. It, it did work at the time. At least it got our attention. Hey, and you teach negotiation, dress. Dress the part. Hey, sometimes That's dressing right. in the right clothes can Actually, open the right doors. That is a chapter in my former book, Negotiate Like You Matter, is, is you know, dress confidently. You should dress in the, the part. Yes. So and I, I tried to dress the part in it and it I negotiated the deal. You did. You did. Well, and but you know, the one of the opening lines of my podcast is Sometimes the very first negotiation that you have to do in the morning is with your own self for your own self worth. Mm. And, um, you know, that is one of the things that you said that you had to overcome. And, you know, I want to know do you agree with that? What do you think about mindset when it comes to negotiation or, or dealing with your day? Man, it's mindset's been, I agree with it 100%. Um, I, I'm a small town kid. And I think that sometimes growing up in a small town can make you small-minded. I think that sometimes growing up in a small town, I encourage people these days. I say, um, you know, just because you have a small YouTube channel, you still need to dream big. But that's hard because sometimes your circumstances don't fully align with your vision, but your circumstances can make you think smaller. They can constrain your life. So how do you expand your mindset? How do you... There's been some influential um, things along the way, different mentors. Early on, there's a guy named Dr. Dave Martin. I did kind of a millionaire mindset uh, program, is and actually incredibly helpful, you know. And to you know, sometimes I think even that can get criticism. Because people go, "Okay, you know, can you really think and grow rich?" And you're like, "Well, technically, no, <laughs> you know, because you do actually have to execute, but." Officially, absolutely, because it's going to have to start with your thinking. So if you if you can change your thinking, you could truly change your life. And so there was some early stuff. I think one of the other big things for me was I discovered a, a book by Hal Elrod called, called The Miracle Morning. And I started to change my mornings, realizing that if you can slay the morning, you could slay all day. Mm-hmm. And if you can wake up, I've heard some people call it a prize fighter's morning routine. And I have... Absolutely learned. I, I think that some of maybe my fans or people who watch our content maybe doubt that I deal with insecurity, self-doubt, negative thinking, discouragement, depression at times, and that sometimes it's a daily battle. And that waking up, uh, having practices to get into the right state, the right mindset, but all the right emotional state are, are essential. As a person of faith, there's a verse that says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. And so there is something about learning how to encourage yourself, how to shift your perspective, shift your mindset. And how teaches in that book, he just collected practices like scribing, journaling, meditation, silence, reading, um, a little bit of movement and breathing, not intense exercise, but a little bit of exercise. And so I've adapted a lot of those things. And then there's another book called The Upper, called The Big Leap that talks about the upper limit and that we will hit our mindset can also be like a thermostat, right? Where, mm-hmm. where, 
or our environment around us. It's like the lottery winner that you won the millions of dollars, but you didn't change your mindset, your belief system, your operating system. And so you found your way back to being broke again because you hit an upper limit, your your money limitations, your self-worth limitations. You didn't know how to steward it. You didn't know how to manage it. So my awareness of discovering some of these signposts along the way, and then the implementation of trying to not just one time in a way reinventing myself, but having to continually do it. And now every year in our company, thank God, it's kind of like mo money, mo problems. Uh, and it's nice. To, it's a nice problem to have, but there's whole new limits. Like, what does it mean to actually now, what leader do I need to be for a team of this size? What kind of leader do I need to be to run a team of this size and also now be a father of a three-year-old, a one-year-old? What kind of husband do I need to be? Um, and even as we speak, dealing with stuff that I'm seeing coming up and my wife and I are in counseling and dealing with stuff where... I'm realizing as a hey, now now I'm having kids and stuff starts coming out of maybe from my childhood that I didn't even realize. So I agree with you. I think it's a, a constant um, uh, work in progress. Uh, the Jim Rohn may have been famous for saying the quote of something like, uh, "You know, wor- working on doing well at your job will, will make a living, but like working on yourself will make a fortune." Uh, personal develop, uh, you know, I don't know, self development, and so I've always been a big investor in self development and things that can build up my mindset, negotiate with myself, and uh, get my mind right. It, a lot of days it starts wrong, so I'll go through a practice to kind of get into the right place, think about what meetings I have ahead, and that's what leaders do. Oh, so much gold in what you just said. So much gold. I was like trying to take notes on the books and things that you were talking about. I always say that I I have so much respect for what you just said about you and your wife, because I always say that in every relationship, whether it's you and your spouse or anybody that you're with, that there's always four people in a relationship. Mm. And that is your true selves, you and the other person's true self, which is the one from God, which is the one that was created by God, which is perfect and whole and from love, right? And then there's the trauma selves, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's the four people, really, and it's in every in any given moment, there's who's going to show up in that relationship, who's going to speak, who's going to dominate, who's going to respond, who's going to act, who's going to interact, who's going to react. And then, you know, when that happens, you know, then that other person also has that, you know, in that gap after that other person has spoken, there is that moment of how is that other person going to respond and who's going to show up? Is it going to be that true self, the one that was, you know, created by God, or is it going to be the trauma self? Because the trauma self wants to go, 
you know, I'm going to say something hurtful and I'm going to, right? Because the trauma self was created in a moment of childhood to protect and defend and survive and says things that are hurtful and never usually does things that are really good for anybody. But, um, you know, and at the end of the day, they think that they're protecting. And by the time, you know, you're an adult, you have to look and you have to acknowledge that trauma self and say, thank you. Thank you for your service. But <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you, but I don't think I need you anymore. And you're not helping me anymore. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's very powerful. And uh, I know I'm 40 years old, but you start realizing, man, we're a work in progress. But that's our wife and I, my wife and I are, um, are very passionate about counseling. We've done it over the years. We've gone years without it. Um, but I'm a big believer in, you know, in athletics and in sports. Not all amateurs have coaches, but all professionals do. And the highest level athletes have multiple coaches. Yeah. So thinking about if we want to have a world-class marriage and we're in business together. So we, yeah. we co-own the business and we're running it as it grows and gets complex and you deal with other personalities and all this different stuff. We have different gift sets. So it adds a whole nother layer of pressure and and challenges to navigate. And you add in running a business together and you then add in the kids and then you add in your trauma selves. And That's so we need coaches. My, my husband and I used to have our law practice together. And, you know, it was like you could never get away from work either. Sure. You know, you're at your anniversary dinner and you're talking about, you know, work stuff. We were. <laughs> that is exactly. We actually at my uh, birthday just the two of us at Bellagio. We went to the Sphere in Las Vegas, went to some nice meals and ended up having, among other many magical memorable moments, also a couple long conversations about like our event next year and our speakers. And yeah, and it's like, okay, we got to not do this, right? You can't be talking yeah. about clients or whatever it is. And yeah, I mean, it can be that way. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive your store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business, take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or Shopify's POS Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bestlife, all lowercase, Go to shopify.com slash best life to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash best life. 
Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take 20,000 breaths a day? But according to the EPA, it's two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and it's sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. I know for us and our family, our family has struggled with allergies to dust mites and mold and all sorts of things. And that's why we have loved using an air purifier. And Air Doctor has been amazing for us. And it has captured the attention of media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and more. And it filters out 99.9% of dangerous contaminants such as allergens and pollen and pet dander and all sorts of bacteria and viruses so that your lungs don't have to. And it's super quiet and much more quiet than other ordinary air purifiers. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to airdoctorpro.com and use your promo code your best life. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code your best life. And so you you've also dealt with some difficult people, some narcissistic people in work situations that have been pretty traumatic for you. Yes. So uh and I think some of our listeners can definitely identify with that. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean we dealt with, um, you know, we've had a, a lot of different uh, people now work at Think Media. We've learned different things along the way. And I think actually, I had never, I learned from you the term covert narciss, uh, narcissist. I had heard the term narcissist, but I probably had never had a conversation about it. I wouldn't know how to define it. And so I kind of learned that if you don't really know what you're looking for, it's it's a little bit harder to spot. I also um, think that probably one of the most challenging things for me to work through growing my business was gen- generally I lean towards being passive. Uh, my biological father was um, uh, is kind of naturally passive, very charismatic, uh, kind. Very uh, always like kind of socially wants maybe wants to be liked. I know that's also like I want to be liked. So one of the struggles over the years was like shying away from difficult conversations, crucial conversations in general. And so one of the things we learned at our company is we have had you know people come and work here, and um, I've had to learn to address difficult situations and have crucial conversations. And so that was that was a big piece. I think then the other piece was what was your work in fact. I stumbled over an Instagram of you talking about narcissists and I started being like, "Wow." And it was almost like I whether wool was pulled over my eyes and I feel somewhat complicit 
uh, because maybe I allowed it. But even I started seeing like sometimes that's sort of part of the the magic that kind of surrounds them is you sort of get tricked, you, you gaslighting or whatever, you know, you kind of like, is it me? Like, it's probably my fault. Like, I don't know. Like, and so it was a really bumpy season. And um, as we were kind of figuring things out and, and what it equipped me in, I'm happy to, you know, talk about whatever else you want and we could go deeper. But I, one of the, the flip side is again, you have, even my wife and I run in this company, small town kid, college dropout, and dealing with different personalities, team scaling, learning how that these are like some of the skill sets. Even by the way, the hiring process, because sort of like as also as teams are growing early on in a business, it's like, are you alive and willing? All right, you're hired. You know, like it's, you know, that's like your, your system. Um, and thus, you don't, you're not as seasoned, nor do you have as many tools. And, and then even learning and continuing to study things like culture. Um, and, and what's interesting is in hindsight, I could have probably seen the signs more, but I also realized that sometimes um, we definitely have blind spots or that if someone's producing, that could be one big thing. Like, well, but if they're producing or maybe they're even like actually getting hitting like generally their targets in terms of or maybe even beyond but obviously toxic to the culture and now verifiable from multiple accounts multiple other people and maybe they treat you a particular way but there's ways they've treated other people which is now not only verifiable but seen over time and if you're still turning a blind eye to it that was some of the stuff I had to deal with as a leader was thinking about you, you can't. You have to address situations eventually. You have, you of course, you and and that no team member is worth any amount of money if you lose culture. It's they're not worth. No, but it doesn't matter how good or how skilled they are. This is where I am now. Is that that the right behaviors, um, health, organizational health trumps everything. Our team directors now, we just read The Advantage this year by Patrick Liancioni. Subtitle is Organizational Health Trumps Everything. And going through having being able to have crucial uh, radical transparency on the leadership team, being able to call each other out. One of the ways we kind of learned is that people who are uncalloutable or get offended or fluff up if they get called out on issues or whatever, get mean or get just different, you know, it happens once, maybe I'll start as a bad day. If it's a pattern, like it's you got to go. And so we've now ultimately, I try to stay grateful at all times, always. And I also want to take ownership for all of my mistakes because me being there's consequences to, to me abdicating leadership at any point on the journey to or being passive. That's Mm-hmm. That's a failure in my role. I have to be active, assertive, and and make the decisions and the hard conversations and address things quick. Um, but my gratitude is it's all learning, you know, and it's all it's made me better for the next time and giving me more of a a lens of what to look for. As we've been defining our culture and our core values at our company, one of the most helpful things to define our core values was awareness of seeing what we didn't like. I've actually said we almost didn't know how to define it because, well, the three of us work good together. Like early days, you have like an early team. Like it just works. Like we don't have core values. There's no core values right now. We're just working. But then when you introduce, I think it's like when you introduce poison, 
then it acts, oh, now we're experiencing poison. Like we actually are experiencing it. It's easier to define. It's easier to see. It's maybe what do you want in your culture would be one list to write down. What do you want your family to be like? What are your family's core values? What are the non-negotiables? What are at Thanksgiving? What's acceptable in my house? As soon as we had our own house, I used to be passive. Let my parents, whatever, in-laws, they say and do whatever. Now I realize I'm the man of the house. Oh, oh, you're going to talk to my wife that way? That's cool. I don't care who you are. This is our family. We're a whole new unit. That's unacceptable. You could either stop that right now or we did, you know, we're, we're totally fine without you because right behavior, health, is the standard here. I don't even control what you do in your own home. I'm not even necessarily judging you, but that's not going to fly here. And so growing to set strong boundaries, to define what health looks like, and then to enforce that. And then fast forward, I also hope that our hiring is a little bit better. We use tools like Predictive Index um, and some different personality assessments. And we try to use a, a, a combination of them all, try to have a hire of a couple different people talk to them and I eventually talk to them. And then we're aware that you never really know until you know. I'm sure many people listening to this are like, yeah, they seem good on the dates for a while. You definitely need a few dates. You definitely need a few weeks, a few months, who knows how long before people's true colors can kind of come up and variety of situations and pressure to expose uh, different issues that people can have. And so I'm not expecting us to bat 100. But We've gotten better and we've gotten better from learning from di- different personality types and different challenges that we've had over the years. And um, and it's helped us get crystal clear on how important organizational health is for us. And I think culture, culture trumps everything. Culture eats vision for lunch. doesn't matter how good your vision is. doesn't matter how good your talent is. Culture will kill the whole thing if culture is toxic. Oh, yeah. There's a, a lot in what you just said there. But... One of the things that I really want to bring out that you said, and I just want to kind of distill it down here, is that in all of that, you took back your power. You took back your agency. And that is something that I really want people to hear and really want people to know. And it's something that I also did in, in, you know, you could have continued to say, I'm a victim in this. I'm a victim. Look what happened to me. Woe is me. But you said, no, you know, I have to take responsibility for my part in this. And, and that's what, when people can take a look at themselves and say, how did I contribute to this? There is actually, because a lot of people want to say, I had no part in this. It's all them. It's all them. It's all them. And that's all fine, well, and good. But the, the empowering part in saying, how did I contribute to that is the, the taking back of your agency is by saying, well, if I had a part in that, then that means that I can prevent it. Hmm. You know, that's powerful. And I, uh, in hindsight, one, as a leader, I make it my goal to take extreme ownership for everything. Everything is my fault in this company. Um, and to some degree, you know, in my home, in my life, 
extreme ownership. I got to take responsibility. And and what's actually wild, Rebecca, is this individual had said multiple things behind my back, but actually had said something about me uh, behind my back years earlier. And uh, a trusted friend thankfully revealed that to me. But honestly, I ignored it. And my logic at the time was, yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's immaturity. That's an immature perspective. And um, like probably to my point of being passive, it was okay to be walked on a little bit. And also observing it, I thought, well, this person's... I mean, even that they would say something like that shows that they are definitely... They're insecure, maybe threatened, maybe jealous, because uh, that is just weird. Uh, but then when you fast forward and the whole thing played out to the point of I have a part in it, are you kidding? <laughs> the writing was on the wall the entire time. Like it was actually always there. There was just like little by little that I started to justify and, and like, you know, kind of give the benefit of the doubt and whatever. So you're absolutely right. And it be also became a process where in, in the pursuit of finally taking back my power and taking back agency, I was still kind of like, I read the entire Crucial Conversations book, like annotated notes. Okay, how am I going to do this? And I started doing a lot of what you teach, like started like kind of gathering data and thinking about like gathering different events and like verifiable moments and gathering different things that had happened. And there was, you know, um, and, and my wife similarly, as we co-run the company. And so very intentional about it. For us, like as a person of faith too, there's a lot of prayer and like God give me courage and help me grow. And so it ended up being also a very shaping thing for me because it became the very vehicle with which, you know, uh, that that pushed me to develop obviously an underdeveloped area of my life. And an area that I probably would have may or may not suffered from greatly on a personal level because my wife's amazing. We got our world. Of course, what friends we allow or fake friends. Uh, I know you, you have all kinds of good information on that. But but on a business level, it would have been fatal. Or we would have just continued to repeat a cycle if I hadn't you know, had this opportunity to expose... I can't, I can't ignore obvious things. I got to be thoughtful. Got to have my guard up. Also, I've realized my wife's the counterpart of me. I do give people the benefit of the doubt almost all, to a fault. Uh, it's the way I'm wired. Generally, would would always see the best. I reinterpret people's actions for them, assuming their intent is good. And I reinterpret mm-hmm. people's actions, assuming their motive is good. And I have also now learned over our years in business, not only are there sometimes toxic people on a spectrum, but there's actually evil people. We have, we have uh, now encountered straight up evil people, dangerous people. And I'm learning that as a father too, that that's a thing that has to change. I, I would probably go to like kind of trust everybody, kind of just be kind, trust everybody kind of thing. And so it's also very good to learn that that's really not how the world works. And so again, always looking at how every situation in life can ultimately make us better. It can give us lessons that equip us for the future. And so this, this has been that for me, certainly. 
Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. Sometimes when you start talking about health and shining a light and, and creating that up one, in a one-on-one environment, in an all-team environment, that if that very well might mean some good people leave, it might mean some people get uncomfortable and good because you want values and principles and ethics and health to be paramount. And if that pushes out toxic people, thank God. Are you struggling with a narcissist in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, a business partner, a soon-to-be ex, whoever it is, are you ready to shift that power dynamic, but you're just feeling like you cannot win, like everybody is believing their lies, and you're just feeling like there's just no way that you can shift that power dynamic. I've got a brand new masterclass for you. I'm sharing all my secrets, and so that you can finally take back your power and break free from this hell emotionally, physically and spiritually. I've never done this free masterclass before. Go to Break Free From Hell and sign up. Come be with me and get my secrets so that you can finally take back your power and break free. Break free from hell and let's do this. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. I know with the couple of covert narcissists that I had to deal with in my life, I found myself doing, doing, doing for them all the time because I thought I was being a kind person. I thought I was being a generous person. I thought that I was doing the right thing. So maybe that's part of the reason why you don't say no. And now we return to today's show. Yeah, that is a an attachment problem. So I don't know anything about your childhood, but I'm just I'm gonna I'm an open book. Counsel out, me. I'm gonna go out on a limb and tell you that that's an attachment problem because there was something that happened in your childhood where you felt like one of your parents there was a problem like for survival, like they might leave or something. And so for you now, like in your adulthood, you feel like I can, I can work harder. I can be good. I can, you know, be better. And then I will show them how good I can be. And then they won't leave. Mm. And that's why you are so successful in business. And, but that's why you reinterpret their actions for them because, and make up for it because it's an attachment. It's an attachment issue. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. And originally, with the writing on the wall was so clear with this situation. That logical conclusions would just be like, oh, this is should have been over, That's but it's just why you it, end up with leaky boundaries. Yeah, it should just it and should I'm just telling end. you that. Yeah, because leaky, I have that, to say, yeah, those leaky boundaries for sure. But what was funny is to your point, I 
thought, well, I'll just work harder. Maybe I can support. Maybe we could support this person with counseling. Maybe we could um, uh, let, you know, on and on and on and on, which was absolutely the wrong thing, uh, would have been the wrong thing to pursue in this case, especially once things had already happened. By the way, and once other team members have been affected, et cetera. And so anyways, um, so I yeah, have I appreciate an alcoholic you. mom. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's because it's, you know, if I can show up better, if I can be work harder, if I, it, it's like, I'm bad, I'm inherently bad, but I can show them that I'm good by being better. Mm. It's wild. But now that you know, you won't do that anymore. Yeah, I like that. Appreciate it. Yeah. And maybe other people listening will resonate too. And and you know, and so by recognizing that you can take back your power and say, hey, you know, I am no longer a victim, right? I I'm a victor here. I can, I have agency. I can, and that's what I did too. You know, I'm like, I'm getting out of this relationship. I'm I'm not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's and- really powerful. I though also I think insecurity from a stand insecurity from a standpoint of financial as a business owner, like sometimes when someone's producing, um, I imagine this you could tell me, you're oh, the yeah. expert, if uh if a married couple that you could be dependent because maybe there's a breadwinner or something. So if someone's producing, there can also just be a fear of rocking the apple cart because as soon as you address or expose an issue, that could blow the whole thing up. And what are the consequences? And what I've learned is do it smart, but you should blow the whole thing up. I mean, that's why my conclusion is you 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 just... John Maxwell put it this way in the 17 Laws of Teamwork. It's the law of the bad apple. One bad apple spoils the whole bunch. You have to get the bad apple off the team. And I mean, it, how long can you survive in a toxic environment? Well, you can. You stay sick if you're in a toxic environment that's poisonous. You got to exit the environment or remove the carcinogen from the situation. So I think dealing with fear and what's going to happen in a trade-off, which is now a trade-off I'm not willing to make. The trade-off was um, I'm aware of their problems, but I'm just going to keep ignoring them and kind of learning like, Man, uh, it's not worth it. And- yeah, and and money is, you know, the, the root word of uh, of scarcity is scared. You know, and so you know, money will always come. Hmm. Mm. And it might, and and I think I had to accept that it might not at first. Like there very might there might be a recession if but also what do you want to build over time and and why would you want money but also being miserable or why would you want to tolerate why would you want money but at the sacrifice of things that matter so much more than money so especially if other team members are being treated wrongly or whatever there's no justification ultimately for it and so I would I would love to promise everybody that if they especially like a an entrepreneur or business owner. That if they deal with the issue, that like then their business will double. Um, but it, it may not double at first. I can say that I think it will play out over the long haul, and this is what we've been experiencing: that organizational health trumps everything, and that we've been obsessed with 
with health, with healthy culture, healthy team members, yeah. um, and and then cranking up the heat on um, all of that as well. You know, I learned something. Uh, I think the book is called. I've never read it, but uh, the book is, I think, called uh, "Management Ethics." Or I'll, I'll I'll look it up in a second. But uh, maybe it's ethical sales. Patrick David from uh, Valuetainment said that every year he makes his sales team read a book on like ethical management, and every year twenty it ends up making people quit, and. Um, the reason why is also when you crank up, it's kind of like when you when the light turns on, the cockroaches scatter. Oh, yeah. And so he uses it kind of as a filtering system. And you just uh, were on uh, my podcast and dropped a bomb about uh, that as soon as a narcissist starts to kind of be exposed that... That sort of is what shifts, you know, it starts to shift the relationship, like start yeah. getting and and we very much experienced that because as we started to crank up culture, crank up health, call out issues, it actually resolved itself pretty quickly. Um, and so was thinking kind of about the same thing. And that was sort of encouraging because Patrick but David is in hyper growth. He's built an exit of an insurance company and now is building a media company. But they're growing pretty fast. And I think that sometimes you realize, well, in the Especially sometimes, aren't salespeople maybe out of compared to any other group, high probability of being narcissists? Well, probably. Yeah. And so, David and I have the same uh, agent. We're actually working on doing a podcast swap right now. That's so cool. And so, anyways, uh, that was one little tidbit about about him, just at least kind of like an annual cleaning. And that sometimes when you start talking about health and shining a light and and cranking that up one in a one-on-one environment, in an all-team environment, that if that very well might mean some good people leave. It might mean some people get uncomfortable and good because you want values and principles and ethics and health to be paramount. And if that pushes out toxic people, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I always say defend your light with your life. I mean, that is my new mantra ever since I dealt with the narcissist. Mm. Yeah. And everything you're saying is exactly that. So, um, you know, and you, both you and your wife have experienced pretty significant health issues. We, we have. So the biggest one was or the the biggest thing that hit us we got married young 21 we were married for about 2 years um before my wife got really sick and then in 2009 she almost died so as a young couple i want to say we're 27 and 28 she's in the hospital for 6 days there was a botched medical procedure she actually she got gastroparesis we eventually learned which is an idiopathic chronic illness where your vagus nerve is damaged, so your digestion is slowed. And depending on how severe it is, you'll eat, the food will just sit there and then you'll throw it up. And so at one point she was throwing up 10 to 15 times a day and her weight dropped so severely that she had to get a feeding tube first in her nose to get her stabilized and then jejunum, which I believe goes into your upper bowel, but it was placed wrong. So instead of the 
liquid food going into her um, the right place. It was filling up her body cavity, which will suffocate your organs and kill you quick. Oh, wow. And so we were a really young couple, 2009. She's in the hospital. And what's wild, Rebecca, was during this exact same time, we had purchased a house and a second house. One was a rental and one we were house hacking because we didn't have much money. But this was during the big short. And we, so house hacking, I didn't know that term, but we had another family living in the house. We had two roommates just to be able to pay the mortgage. And then the whole housing market crashed. While My wife was actually the main breadwinner in these days. She was working at Starbucks, waiting tables at uh, a nicer restaurant in the Pacific Northwest and was nannying and or, working four jobs and working for my parents uh, doing their books in their electrical contracting business. So she was hustling. I'm in ministry and doing a little uh, waiting tables a little bit and, and then eventually started my video business. So anyways, punchline is her health gets under attack, almost dies. We're in the hospital. We're losing our houses. Uh, the renter stops paying. We default on that. We have to short sell the house we're in. And then on top of that, the church we were a part of for... Seven years, which was a total blessing. Soma North, you know, School of Ministry Arts Northwest. She eventually attended that. And that's kind of where we were building, and lots of good came of it. But there was a real moral failure. Some money was store, uh, stolen. And actually, you know, come to think of it, there might have been some narcissist aspects to some of the leadership there. There was for sure insecurity. I saw that insecurity kills leaders. I've seen it in multiple situations. It makes them horrible leaders. Um, and so you got to deal with insecurity. Um, it's very toxic for your leadership. And so uh, the church fell apart. It went from moving and shaking to just a couple, like 200 people or less from over a thousand. And because of that moral failure. So, like, our whole world was falling around around us. And we'll talk about you know a wild event that that really shapes you. And I remember, I'll never forget that season because um, very heavy. But I remember feeling challenged because it was in I was in the hospital room with my wife for six days, kind of like God, what are we gonna do? And I really felt challenged in that hospital room that God was saying, "Man, you need to man up and step up. You got to provide for your wife. You got to fight for your family." Um, I realized I had the option and like two paths. I could have gone a path of bitterness and just woe is me and kind of that victim path, or I could have gone down the path of what is the bright side of this? Well, at least at the time, at least I'm healthy. So we married for sickness and health. I can fight. We can solve this. We can look for answers. We could keep praying. We can seek medical answers and just not quit. I heard it said that when you're going through hell, keep going. You know, like that, one of the worst things to do would have been to park there in our despair. Um, but that is actually was the Genesis kind of moment that pushed me from being a little more passive and complacent in terms of entrepreneurship to sort of like survival was like, I'm, I'm fighting now to pay medical bills. And so it lit a new fire in me. And that was in 2009, you know, now it's 2014 and we are... You know, years later, have gone through a lot of ups and downs. She eventually got a gastric stimulator, which is a pacemaker that stimulates the vagus nerve to get your stomach digesting again. She's been in and out of the hospital. She was in the hospital last week. Uh, we called a, a an ambulance so I could stay home with the kids at one thirty in the morning. Um, and so it's been a wild ride. But what's wild is 
doctors said we wouldn't be able to have children and we have two miracle boys and um, she is an absolute survivor, um, strong woman who it's stunning to me. I know what happens when I get sick. I, you know, I'm like almost useless and, and what she pushes through in regards to pain and energy and, and everything is absolutely amazing. And, and I love her so much. So there was that. And then when I was 32, I'm 40 now, I started to develop a severe pain in my hands, wrists, forearms from working at a computer. Call it RSI, repetitive stress injury. Um, a lot of computer programmers. Now there's a generation of young kids in their 20s that are esports gamers that are dealing with issues. Listeners probably know carpal tunnel mm-hmm. um, and and tendinitis, tendinosis. It's a whole slew of issues that's mainly from posture, nerve entrapment, different probably in individual cases and the myofascia in your arms kind of like hardening and shortening and causing different pain and whatnot. So it's been actually a wild journey of Sometimes my pain on a scale from one to 10 in my wrists or my pointer finger, my mouse finger, or my hand was like a 10. Two summers ago, I was slathering my arms with CBD menthol um, you know, lotion to after I worked a few hours in the morning, I'd lay in bed and just wonder if I would ever, if the pain would ever go away. So I've been on a long journey of uh, pursuing. Natural doctor, uh, you know, traditional doctors has not been helpful. Uh, natural remedies, biohacking, you know, throwing the whole kitchen sink at it from physical therapy to the EGOSQ method to red light therapy to a lot of different things. And I'm very grateful that I am actually making progress, getting stronger, and pain reduction is happening. But yeah, as far as as far as uh, both of our uh, as a couple, we've dealt with a lot. And what's wild, I will tell you this, Rebecca, my wife Sonia has said something profound to me, and she said, as we look back over her getting sick. She said, you know, Sean, when I think about it, I wouldn't change it. Oh, that's amazing. And and I'm like, I would have, you know, I think, but when her, when she says that, you know, I think what that reveals to me, reveals to me a high level of maturity. But what it reveals to me is that sometimes the greatest obstacles in our life of course, lead us to places we would have never been before. They may... And and of course, sometimes the greatest obstacles in our life can crush us or they can be an opportunity to truly make us better, drive us closer. As chronic illness hits a family, divorce skyrockets statistically. But I think if you can stick with each other and depending on how each person's wired, I think that we've been stronger because of it. And I would also say it's developing our character um, you know, there's something about perseverance and perseverance leading to hope. You know, you go through hardship and you don't quit. And 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 for my faith belief, these light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the surpassing glory that awaits us. And so ultimately, yes, we want to be comfortable in this life and we want to uh, do whatever we can. By the way, one of my motivations... We don't. We haven't stopped. One of my motivations to build wealth is to continue to look for and have the opportunity to do you know whatever's necessary. Like health side, we're a big believer in prayer, and we do the whole thing. And so we just are, are on that journey, and it's it's mysterious, but it's also wild. All that you know has happened in our lives as a result, and uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, you guys have been through it. So if you would give any of our listeners, you know, some piece of advice to dealing with um, all that you've dealt with and, you know, you've grown a multi-million dollar business and you've dealt with narcissists and, and you've dealt with chronic pain and illness and all, you know, difficult childhood, so many things. What would you tell them right now who are, you know, when they're dealing with maybe uh, difficult circumstances? I mean, I think the, the first thing I would say is tired eyes rarely see a bright future. Hmm. If in this exact moment, you're feeling overwhelmed, you've got all this pressure on you, you're in pain, sometimes the best thing to do first is take a nap, mm. take a break. It's not all going to be fixed overnight, but it's going to be very difficult to think clear or make good decisions from a fatigued state. And that might be, you might be dealing with chronic fatigue. So I think there's just something about in our culture is like, so busy and there's so much scrolling. I think just disconnecting and, and actually getting into a refreshed place because uh, sometimes after a day of business, man, it's like I'm optimistic after my morning routine. And by 8 p.m., I am doom spiraling, spiraling. You get news and all this stuff. And I'm like, and then I actually realize I wake up the next morning, I'm like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was. But all the de- decision making fatigue and all the things the day threw at me. So, First thing is is rest and get into a good state to make the decision. I think secondly, um, one of the things that comes to mind in the list of, of what I would do with that is, is get connected to a powerful community. For me, I really believe in the power of church as a Christian, finding a powerful Christian church. Um, one fact we can know no matter what people's faith persuasion is we need each other. We are designed to need other people. Uh, therapy has shown us there's talk therapy, like so just talking stuff out in and of itself brings a level of healing. Being able to have people to grieve with, mourn with, talk with, process with, people to listen to. And so having a good friend group or having is all great, but I think there's something powerful about committing to a local church. And in doing so, having a practice where, if possible, weekly, you're able to be in an environment of faith, an environment of prayer, an environment of healing, an environment where you get some wisdom from uh, the Bible, an environment. So that over the years, uh, personally, my answer is on like my faith is the thing. I've got the the 26 things and I'm a big both and guy. I'm like, yeah, because like faith would actually tell us to go, you know, apply wisdom. But Ultimately, it was it's by God's grace that has carried us through, and it's it's been faith that has been uh, the key to get through the darkest seasons of our life. And the expression of that is also not just a private faith. What's very fascinating about the Bible is a lot of people read it wrong in the West because they do read it from a more individualistic mindset. We are all very isolated and we're individuals when actually it was written to groups of people. It was written to entire churches, the New Testament epistles, and the whole Old Testament was all very community-based. So a communal mindset, there's this whole thing it says, you know, in James that pray for one another, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Even if you were in a, uh, I, I believe it's different 
But this is why therapy is powerful because you're confessing issues to somebody and the talking about it and processing with them, it could be a path to healing. Now, I think that's a level. I think the faith level that invites God into it adds super to the natural wisdom. So I think getting into a community of a big, of a big uh, um, proponent of therapy. And then I also think the mindset is everything is ever is figure outable. Yeah. I can share like my mindset in this moment with the pain I'm dealing with that is directly to listeners in this moment. I'm very optimistic about what's happening in my health for many reasons. One, I think I am going to keep trying stuff and I'm going to keep looking. And this is a whole separate co- probably conversation. I've gone to I have bought courses and books and massage devices and $500 tennis elbow devices. And I've seen specialists and I've gone, but I would encourage people, just don't don't keep looking. My thought is the answer is still out there. Deeper than that, for specifically for pain, I, I'm very optimistic. There's a book by Tony Robbins and a lot of doctors called Life Force. And we're in a medical revolution. And a lot of it's not super mainstream yet, but we're, we're living through kind of this idea that like, it's all perspective. Everything is perspective. So I could say, man, it's it sucks that I'm in pain and it's true. And you know, I just had my 40th birthday and it's been a bummer to deal with pain at varying degrees over the last eight years. There's other things that like go back a hundred years and everyone would have been dead by 40 because they didn't know how to sanitize. And that's how it was for years. Yeah, they didn't know how to sanitize medical devices. So so we feel, I think, I think, you know, avoid like be careful with your social media consumption in comparison because these days there's just so much of looking. We have too much information about what's happening around the world. We compare ourselves to others. You, you really got to run your own race. And so, in saying that, being optimistic about, you know, rather than worry about, rather than being sad that it's over, be happy that it happened. And so, being grateful for. Like, of course, I want my wife and I to be strong and healthy for many years to come, and that is my belief. But I, I like to live from a place of, of like, what are all, what about all the memories we have had, all the good we have had, and it always could be worse. That's just it's a true perspective, you know, kind of across across the board. And so, I actually really do believe that year over year, um, you know, there are new discoveries and new things happening, and so, so it's like never give up hope. Like don't don't stop hoping. Don't stop looking for answers. If, if that's why they say get a second opinion, get an a hundredth opinion. Keep looking, and sometimes it's patience. You know, you there are certain business things entrepreneurs want to solve, but the software didn't exist yet. The solution didn't exist yet. The fuel source didn't exist yet to make the rocket to go to Mars. Oh, now it does, and now that solution can happen. So if you can hang in there and protect your mindset and protect your heart, get into a community. You know, stay rested so you're not catastrophizing everything, and and uh, and keep going. Then I, I do believe it's everything is figure outable, and then I also know that life is about mystery for the for those of faith. I mean, I believe I've seen miracles happen, um, and people get prayed for and get healed, but obviously sometimes people are prayed for and they, they are not. It's a mystery, but. But we're going to keep praying, and we're going to keep searching. We're going to keep, you know, studying, and we're going to stay in community, and then try to stay grateful for what we do have in the moments. We've had to modify our schedule because of maybe being in the hospital at certain times, 
modify what we're able to do. And so you could get on social media and be like, oh man, it must be nice for that person who's not dealing with this. Well, that, yeah, true, but that's not your circumstances. If you if you maybe look at life through a different set of lenses today, um, you might start seeing there's all kinds of opportunity in your backyard, in your living room, wherever you're constrained to. Um, and it's and that would be about making the most uh, about what you have. And uh, those are just a few thoughts that have maybe been helpful for me as we've done what we've yeah, done over the years. I think so. it's really good. I mean, you're you're saying like whether you think you can or you can't. You're you're right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I always say uh, they only win if you give in, right? I mean, you just have to believe it. That's a good one. Don't quit. And I think about Galatians. Do not get weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest at the proper time if we do not give up. So I always try to judge my life not by the harvest I'm reaping, but by the seeds that I'm sowing. And what that actually means is I'm actually learning when it comes to my hands and wrists, and I have a physical therapist that I actually have to do the workouts. I have to do the stretching. I am I'm, I'm moving my shoulder back by putting a little door thing for the exercise band in the door jam and pulling my shoulder back throughout the day. Wow. And I'll get I'll get like hand pain and different things. And my physical therapist will tell me, well, you know, you, like if you your muscle tissues and the way your things are, if you took like four breaks a day for five to 10 minutes and did these exercises I'm giving you, it would really keep the nerve pain and some things down and you'd really be correcting your whole like kind of deal. Well, I got to confess, Rebecca, five days can go by and I haven't done a thing. So also don't complain about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. Yeah, so true. And when it comes to planting seeds, it makes me think, okay, so in order to address my health, I'm just going to plant. I don't know what the result will be. I don't know what the harvest will be. But I know if I do repeatedly plant seeds, hydration, exercise, posture, stretching, um, nutrition, if I plant those seeds, well, then I wake up and I'm like, oh my goodness, there's an abundant harvest. And that could be discipline, investing in your marriage, you know, being thoughtful. All these little choices, all these little things that we do. And I do take extreme responsibility because sometimes I'm like, oh man, I, I, the pain is flared up again. Stuff is happening again. And what am I blaming that on? Well, yeah, it sucks that that's something I'm dealing with, but I've neglected even the prescribed solutions that I've now discovered. And so I think would encourage um, uh, everyone as well that like, yeah, don't judge your life by the harvest you're reaping. Judge your life by the seeds that you're sowing. And sometimes we don't want that because we want results fast because the process of seed time and harvest is not an overnight thing. It is plant, water, wait. And in due season, a harvest happens. And sometimes you build momentum in a field in, in agriculture and farming where year after year you compound it because the soil and the nutrition in the soil and the way that it all compounds. So anybody that's maybe built momentum in a business, in a life, in a marriage, in a relationship, of course, if we reverse engineered it, it, it was not gotten there by accident. A million small investments have compounded like interest over time to create the love and the wealth and the abundance and the energy and the um, positive aspects that are happening uh, because of the compound effect over time. Wow. 
Well, this was so good. Where, where can people learn more about you and follow you and all that good stuff? I know they're going to want to learn more. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, uh, Sean Cannell rhymes with YouTube channel. Uh, my first and last name is, on, is, is who I am across social media. And then our company name is Think Media. That's our main YouTube channel on the Think Media podcast. And so uh, really our content is for anybody that if they said, man, I want to start doing what you're doing. I mean, it's inspiring to see how you started your YouTube channel. You were just on, on uh, our show even talking about it's really... You don't need the highest production value. But if you've got a message to share, you've got some good information, you're a a uh, subject matter expert, an expert's even an intimidating word. You figured something out. You figured out your way of doing it. And you know you could help other people. Man, YouTube needs you. Like people need you more than that. YouTube is a vehicle to get your message out to the world. It's the second largest search engine. It's could be very powerful. It could be lucrative. Uh, but one of your quotes was it's really more about the mission than it is about money. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. And we we uh we see YouTube as a chance to solve problems, answer specific questions, get good information out there. Of course, there's the entertainment side. And that's how we help people. So whether it's figuring out the technical things, you find that on our Think Media channel, or whether you're interested in just exploring, starting, or growing a YouTube channel, our Think Media podcast is pretty good. And it's on all the audio platforms. Uh, it's called Think Media Podcast or video as well on YouTube. All right. And it's Sean, S-E-A-N is the way he spells it. And um, definitely pick up a copy of his book. All the links will be in the show notes. And thank you so much, Sean. This was so, so good. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. 